Good Sunday morning, everybody, and welcome to another Crimson Flow Biblecast, where we explore the wonderful Word of God, and we take a very, very in-depth journey through that. Now, last week we did John chapter 1, the St. John, not the John 1, 2, and 3, but the first John book, if that makes sense. And now, we're going to continue with John chapter 2. Now, last week we also talked about the baptism of Jesus, uh, and this is where John the Baptist, which is who John is, if you haven't caught that, but this is where he meets Jesus in person for the first time, and this is really where his journey with him starts. Now, I might have said this last week, and I don't really remember if I did, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all just the same uh, same story, but different perceptions. You know, there are some, uh, like uh, Mark might have got more information or a different set of information f- from his perception that all meant the same thing. It all means the same thing. Otherwise, you would just have a bunch of stories and it wouldn't mean nothing. But we have him here. And this is where his journey with Jesus starts. So we're going to start in verse 1. And I didn't start off last time with a prayer. And I kind of feel bad for that. So I think this time I'm going to go ahead and say a quick prayer before we get into this. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this ability to broadcast to the world about your word, your glory, and your gospel, which is the death, the burial, and resurrection. Lord, I ask that when I read this Bible today, and read your word, and I put it out there, that I put out the truth, and that it's what you want me to say, and not what I want to say. Lord, I I pray that, that when I put this out there, and people hear it, that it grows inside them, that, that they, they change and that they come to know you and grow in in your love and your compassion so that they don't have to face your judgment. So I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now we're going to start here in verse 1. And it says, and, uh, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So, I mean, obviously, they're going to a party. Well, okay, more of a reception. But in verse 3, it says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Now, that makes me laugh for a second. Because you know Jesus is the only person on earth, even at this time, especially at this time, that gets away with talking to his mom like that. Okay, I may not be from the deep south, but still, when I was younger, you talked with respect to your mother. And I'm assuming it stems from the Ten Commandments where it says, Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. So, 
with that being said, he's sitting there, you know, my mom would have considered this complete backtalk. You know, and I would have gotten in trouble for it. But he says, woman. I never called my mom woman. Unless I was joking and she had to be 100% sure I was joking. Because if I said it seriously, it was going down. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So in other words, she's just acknowledging his command so that the servants know from then on, whatever Jesus says, do it. And of course, this is, we're getting ready to get into this first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And some of you know the story, some of you don't. Listen closely. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Now a firkin, one firkin, is actually about nine gallons of water. So, it says here that there was about two or three firkins apiece in six water pots, so you can imagine about how much water was there. It was a lot. Let's just say a lot. I don't feel like doing the math in my head right now. But you get the point. And it says, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Because Mary had told him to do whatever he says. Now this might be a strange request. Knowing that the governor of the feast wanted wine. And and they were told by this woman to listen to Jesus. Not knowing who he was because he hadn't performed a miracle yet. And they're they're probably thinking like, this guy's crazy. He wants wine and we have no wine. Is he trying to get us killed? That's probably what they're thinking. Doesn't say that, but you know, you could you could imagine that in your head. And then when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, so the first miracle he ever performed was he turned water into wine. Now let's hold up there and stop for one second. I know there's going to be people out there. So you're saying that 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 drinking's allowed? Not necessarily. Now here is my opinion. It's best to stay in the don't take a chance. Because there is. Right here obviously. Jesus turns water into wine. And and I know there are some people out there that are saying. Well wine back then was juice. No because in other verses it says like one of them was. Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. But if you look back in time, they didn't have NyQuil then, which is now I think it's like 10% alcohol or something like that. They didn't have that back then, or they didn't have Theraflu, or they didn't have random other drugs names. So wine was all they had, and granted, it was probably like 50-60% alcohol. It probably wasn't watered down like what ours is today and regulated. But still... 
Back then, it was used for more of ceremonial purposes. And that still does not give you the right to drink it. Because it says here, well not here, but in the Bible, that a drunkard will not enter the gates of heaven. And I know that you can never be a drunk if you never take take the drink. So... There, there's a big controversy out there on whether or not a social drink is okay in the Bible standards. And I, you know, I may be proven wrong by this, and I hope I am. Like, if you can put scripture out there that changes my mind, that's why we call this the living word, is because, you know, there's always parts that we didn't see before. And, you know, that's just because our minds, ourselves, you know, somebody across the country may have already picked it up. And it would be a blessing to me if they pointed that out to me. So, as of right now, my thoughts on this is, it's more of a, what the drink is for. Okay? A social drink, am I going to tell you it's wrong? It's obviously not. Because they done it here. By this scripture that we're reading right now. A social drink is okay. As long as it's not for the intended purposes of getting drunk. It's not for the intended purposes of an addiction. So that's why, me, myself, I tend to just stay away from them. You know, why run the chance of it? Because, like I said earlier, if you never drink, you'll never become an alcoholic, you'll never become a drunk, and you won't have to worry about it. But, I'm not, that, whatever you choose is between you and God. I can't say that one drink every now and then is, is bad because I have no scripture to prove against that yet. If you, Like I said, if y'all want to comment and tell me scripture that proves against it, then I'll be more than happy to look into that. But as, as my stance right now, I've not really got anything to go against a drink here or there. But it's what that drink leads to. That's what we need to be cautious about. Does it lead to more drinks? Does it lead to coming home at night, you're so tired, you need it to relax. It starts out, you need it to relax. Then you need it to to stay relaxed. You need it to function. And it can grow. It Just keep growing and growing and growing. You know, and you really don't need to take that risk. Okay, let's get back to the story. I, I think I've said enough on that. Um... Okay, verse 9, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. So the governor did not know that they were out of wine completely, and that what miracle had just happened. Okay, but the servants did, obviously. They were the one that pulled the water, and then all of a sudden the governor is like, hmm, this wine is pretty good, you know. So, I mean... I'm sure that these servants were just out of this world shocked 
And then it goes on to say, The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto the, him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. And I'm just going to be flat honest with you. We can try breaking this down. But reading this part right here just hurt my brain. Because I've read a lot of the Bible. But it's been here pieces here and there. Like I've not had an in-depth reading of it. So I don't think I've ever seen this verse. And if I did I just kind of skimmed through it. Because my brain wasn't ready to try to comprehend it. So let's just break it down. And saith unto him, okay, well, he's saying to him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. So, I, what I'm getting here is, what he's saying is that at the beginning, they drank the good stuff. And then the farther they drink, because it says, And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. So, I guess the quality goes down. I, I after so long. But. Thou hast kept the good wine until now. So I guess he's trying to say that. The whole time they've been drinking really good wine. So I guess that's what I'm trying to get out of it. Because it. My brain hurt trying to read that. I'm, I'm not going to lie to y'all. Um, then in verse 11 it says. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. So that, like I said earlier. This is his first miracle. That he's ever performed. And manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. So basically the people that was at the party. And the followers had that he had kind of brought up. They believed on him. Like they were just out of this world astonished at what it was. You know so. Or what had happened. And after this he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. So it didn't take long. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Alright, so I think this part right here that we're getting ready to get into is a, is a part that's not preached a lot about Jesus. Uh, because... Everybody wants to talk about how good of a teacher Jesus was and everything, but they don't really get into the details of how he teached. And some of the times he just got downright mad. Okay, like we're getting ready to get into, and, and you'll see what I mean. So he found in the temple those sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. They had turned this temple, which is supposed to be a... Uh, back then it would have been Jewish temple you know a holy place and they had turned it into a place of money changing they were selling stuff it's like a they turned it into a farmer's market so to speak literal farmer's market not food just farmer market and then they were selling all this stuff and then they had money changing and it's just basically a big flea market farmer's market whatever you want to call it and then now see this is the part that it's getting into in verse 15, it says, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, like a bunch of cords, like a bunch of ropes all together that was like 
real, real hard and real, real tight. He drove them all out of the temple. He was mad because they had turned his temple, a place of worship, to the Father in the Jewish religion, to the Father. He drove them out, beaded them out of there. Beaded. Hmm. My grammar's getting off today. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money. He just threw it everywhere, threw over the tables. He dumped them everywhere. See, people don't talk about that. But that's how mad he got at the misuse of his temple. Misuse of his holy ground. His his followers' sanctuary. You know, they had just turned this into a big business. And that's why I believe today that we're getting close to the final days. Because you look at how many churches in America, just, I mean, I'm not even talking about the rest of the world. They're, they're horrible everywhere. But just in America, how bad all these churches are. And I'm not talking about all of them. There's a lot of really, really good churches out there. A lot of great preachers, a lot of great pastors. But all the ones that have just really just kind of we're going to make this a money exchanging. We got to make more money. Like send me $50 a month on, you know, the TV evangelist, you know, and it's just turned Christianity. It's given a bad rap because of all these ones that are just faking it till you make it, you know, kind of of spill, but he drove them out. He whipped them. You know, he everything he got the the all the animals out of there. He threw their money everywhere. He overthrew the tables, and, and then he said unto them that sold doves, he said, "Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise." So he was, you know, he still pretty mad. And notice one thing: he did not say one cuss word. He simply just said, in in all of his rage and everything, he said, do not, and listen to me, do not take my, make my father's house into a house of sale or a house of like a flea market or a market. Don't make it into a market. You know, that's paraphrasing, but that's basically what it says here. And his disciples remembered that it was written. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. Now this confused them, because because it says right here, it says, they like in this next verse it's gonna talk about how they thought he was talking about the building. He's and then the Jews forty and six years or no, sorry. Then said the Jews forty and six years, so forty six years it took them to build this temple. And then they're like, Wilt thou rear it up in three days? Basically like you're gonna build it back in three days. So I mean it's got him confused. But he spake of the temple of his body. Now, this is Jesus. He already knows what's about to happen to him or what's coming. And 
he was talking about this. He's, he was talking about his body, his fleshly temple, just like you and I have. Our bodies are temples to the spirit. Our human spirit, or our soul. And also a temple for the Holy Spirit that we allow into our hearts to change our lives to be more like Jesus. Because that's what we are called to do as followers. And then what he says is we're kind of we're kind of shooting way ahead of time just for a second. And it says, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, I think it backs up right here to where we're at. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, yeah, at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about how man is born of the devil, and that that includes all humans. We are born of the devil, and that's why we need to be born again, cleansed by the uh, Red Royal Crimson Flood, which is why I got this name of this podcast, and you need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus because there is nothing else on this world or anywhere that will get you into heaven and get you everlasting eternal life other than the blood of Jesus. Now this was a short chapter, but I think there was a lot in it. I mean, you had Jesus' first miracle. Granted, what it was has sparked controversy throughout the ages of what's right and what's wrong. And that just goes to show that there is a a lot of chapters in the Bible. They're short, but they're very packed full. And we got one, looks like next week, when we continue on our journey through John, or JTJ, that's what I'm going to call it, JTJ. And it's about as short, but it looks like Jesus talks a lot and he prophesies a lot. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he says. Um, So thank you all for listening. Uh, tune in next week to hear another, another uh, run through. And I guess you could say exponential, exponential, yeah, journey through this book of the Word of God. And we'll find out more about what happens. Because I want to just let you all feel like I'm learning with you, which I am. You know, like I said earlier, I've, I've read a lot of the Bible, but... I know a lot of verses, and I cannot tell you where they're at. I'll be honest with you. I, I know a lot about the Bible, but I cannot quote the, the verse or the chapter or the book even sometimes. So uh, this will be like a learning adventure for both of us. Of course, not a lot of preachers will tell you this, but it's supposed to be a learning adventure for everybody, even the one preaching. So I feel very blessed to to be able to, to do this with you all. So it'll, it'll also help me learn 
and grow closer and I, as much as I hope it has you. Uh, so thank you all for tuning in. Uh, share this with your friends and family so that uh, they can grow as hopefully as much as you have. And God bless y'all and see y'all next time.